Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Revelation chapter 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of the many waters, and as a voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Chapter 14 deals with uh, visions that are uh, mainly to be fulfilled in the consummation or the time of the end. Uh, this uh, is a view as though that it is uh, occurring or that is it in, rea- in a state of reality now, yet it's what we have referred to over again as proleptic, that is as a, uh, what, what it is, best way to view uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 and the best way to study, uh, one of the best uh, helps that I've found in studying it myself uh, is to picture going through Revelation just like you was going uh, to a certain place uh, by automobile and uh, on the way you stop at the rest stops. Now this is, uh, this is stopping at a rest stop. And while you're there, you are receiving information as to the final destiny of where you're going, what's going to be in the end. And that's exactly what we have uh, in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Uh, and we ha- have several pictures. You know, even in chapter 11 uh, and verse 15, we had uh, a view of the time when the Lord took the kingdom, when the kingdoms of this earth became the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Well, now, it was assured. It was given to uh, these uh, side glances or these assurances uh, are given to the people of God in order to reassure them and to give them courage uh, in order to continue on with the trip, so to speak. And uh, so, uh, uh, in this vision, despite the fact that we, in chapter 13, uh, was presented the beast 
and the image uh, of the beast. And Satan, we had four, the four uh, characters uh, are chiefly considered in chapter 13. The beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth, and the beast out of the earth making an image unto the beast out of the sea, and then all three doing the will of Satan, the dragon. And they received uh, the mark of the beast, the people, the ones that worshipped the beast. And they couldn't buy or sell, uh, saving they had his mark in their hand or uh, on their forehead, see, uh, the number of their name, of his name. All right, we open chapter 14, and you have a great a throng of people having a mark, having a seal, uh, are branded. But here is God's people having his name, uh, sealed, marked. They are identified, see, as the Lord's people. And uh, in uh, chapter 13, we have a prophetic destiny of the beast uh, and uh, those that worship God. In this chapter, we're going to find uh, a vision. He's going to, they are not connected visions. They, although they, they may be simultaneous in its occurrence, but they're not related one to the other. In other words, uh, now that's all said about the 144,000. You see what I've read. Then you have three angels make their appearance. Uh, one angel has the everlasting gospel. Then the other angels, the two that follow, they have uh, present a picture of judgment. And uh, then, uh, in uh, and and then you have a vision, a picture of uh, the condition, the state of the righteous dead, and then a view of Armageddon. All right, uh, historically, chronologically, these visions fit nothing. They are realities. They will be realities in the future. The uh, uh, the sum total of the redeemed. Well, uh, that's that's not uh, uh, that's not a fact now. There will be a time when all of the family of God will be uh, collected, gathered together. There will be a time when the the wicked will be gathered together, but that time is not yet. But this sees it as a reality, though it's yet future, and will not take place until after chapter 20 in, uh, in the uh, progress of the trip through Revelation, you see. Well, let us uh, note first, uh, in, this, in the first five verses, you have uh, the Lamb, you have the redeemed, and you have the angels, the ministry of the angels. Uh, now, he says, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. Now, <clears throat> the, uh, the, one of the great themes running through the Bible, ever since God made a promise that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, the Bible has been uh, devoted to the tracing, to the identifying 
of that seed. And the very first uh, aids that God gave us to determine uh, that seed was through the picture of a lamb, Abel's lamb. In Abraham's time, that typical lamb became a prophetical lamb. Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. Not provide a lamb for himself, but God himself will be the lamb. And then when Exodus uh, comes around and Moses, God deals with Moses, God tells Moses that uh, that the uh, that God that He would going to raise up a prophet for the people of Israel like unto Him, but in the meantime, He uh, goes to Egypt, brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, and God institutes a Passover and uses a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb. That was, uh, whose blood was put on the little pole. Alright, you come on down to Isaiah. There's still, uh, up to this time, you, you were dealing with an animal. A lamb. As far as the Bible is concerned, nothing suggests, uh, nothing identifies him as a person, a human being, or a God being. But in Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, he, he, 42 times. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, tells us that this lamb is a person. So he identifies him, you see, as a person. The book of uh, the New Testament opens with an angel assuring uh, Mary, that she was going to bring forth a son, and his ne- he and they would call him the son of the highest. And then he added, "That holy thing which is born of thee shall be called the son of God." Simeon uh, received the young lad after he was born, and said, let me rejoice, let me pass on, let me die now. Why? Because he had seen the Lord's salvation. God had promised him that he wouldn't die till he saw the Redeemer. And so he was identified now as a babe. Here he is. And in the meantime, before this, however, the angel said to the shepherds, this night, is born in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, they're expecting the Messiah. That, that, was a, that was a subject they knew about. So they go to Bethlehem and they see uh, that the, uh, the babe. They, it doesn't say that they said a word. There's no biblical, uh, the biblical record is silent as a tomb. As compared as to what the angel, uh, what the shepherd said. But they returned and they spoke to those 
that uh, uh, that the subject was germane uh, uh, to uh, concerning what the angel said and what they saw and what they heard. And, uh, well, they were telling about a baby, that he was a savior. All right. The first Abel's sacrifice was for himself only. only. In other words, it was his personal sacrifice when he offered that land. And in Exodus 12, the sacrifice was for a family. In Leviticus 16, the sacrificial lamb was for a whole nation. But the angel said to the shepherds, He shall be the Savior to all the world. See? Of all the world. Not just to, not just Jews. But he, uh, but Gentiles know. All right. What is he doing? Now here's a trace of the lamb. In other words, trying to just give you a background of, of the lamb theology. Now, when, uh, Jesus reached, uh, maturity, manhood, 30, about 30 years of age, God had a, a man by the name of John the Baptist to introduce him. To announce, to proclaim, and that, uh, uh, and while he was doing so, while he was baptizing and saying, declaring that one was coming after him who was mightier than he, uh, and yet while he was so doing, here comes the Son of God, Jesus the Nazarene. And of course, John knew it as a person. No doubt had played with him. He was kinfolks. Yet he did not know that he was Abel's lamb, or Abraham's lamb, or Moses' lamb, or Isaiah's lamb, until the dove descended and remained on him, the Holy Spirit. All right? Jesus departed. And then you have uh, John declaring, I have seen and I have borne witness that he is the Son of God. John 1.34 The next day after certain events, which is not defined in the Bible, but in John 1.35, there were two disciples Two of John's disciples with him, and Jesus walks by. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the Son of the world. Now what is he? Here he is for the first time, identified, announced, declared to the world, to God's people, that the Lamb is a person, and the person is a lamb. The person is a sacrificial lamb. He would, he would die. And in dying, he would, uh, sin. What sin? Not the sin of Abel, not the sin of, uh, of Abraham or, or Moses or, or Isaiah or the nation of Israel, but the sin of the world. 
that is unlimited from now on. That was a further revelation. That is, that it's going to appeal to all races, nations, nationalities, kindreds. All right? Andrew was one of those boys that was with John. And Andrew immediately sets out uh, to ask a question. He sees Jesus. And uh, Andrew wants to know where he's going. Where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to stay all night? And he said, well, come and see. Well, now, Andrew and this other disciple went along with him. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, they were loyal to John. Uh, no doubt about him about them being baptized by John the Baptist. For they were with him. They were his disciples. And the scripture says they followed Jesus. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that they became regenerated, they became children of God, but they followed Jesus that day and spent the night with him, came back the next day, and uh, Peter, uh, Andrew was very interested in finding Peter. And he goes and gets Peter, and Peter doesn't open his mouth in all of the exchange. Andrew went and got Peter and brought him to Jesus. Of course, religions today, Arminianism tells us that that uses that expression that he brought him to Jesus means that he brought him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, but he only brought him into his presence. Well, uh, so he brought him, uh, brought Peter, and, and Jesus said to Peter, he says, uh, told him that his uh, name is going to be Cephas now, stone. All right. <clears throat> Peter still didn't say a word. The first thing that Peter said, Thou, we believe and are sure that thou art the Son of God. See, he's identifying. He, he became convinced to it. You can go through the Gospel of John. Every chapter has an outstanding example of someone bearing testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And and you'll find the relationship between the Lamb and the Son of God. Jesus himself uh, declared that he was a good shepherd, that he was going to lay down his life for the sheep. All right. Uh, well, uh, that's enough for the background. Of course, you can go on, I can go on all the way through there for two hours and, and tell you what the, the, the content of the Gospel of John is identifying the Lamb. The lamb. All right, now here, the, he looks and the lamb is standing on Mount Zion. Well, what is Mount Zion? According to different theories of interpretation of, of the book of Revelation, it'll either be a heavenly Mount Zion, it'll be an earthly Mount Zion, it'll be an invisible spiritual Mount Zion to denote God's the redeemed of God. Uh, or the Old Testament and New Testament church combined or separately. But uh, here, this vision is to have its fulfillment in the future, but, but it, it's, for jo- it's for John's comfort. It's for the church's comfort. It's for the people of God that are uh, experiences, uh, that are about to experience the, the wrath that's to be poured out. And the time, the struggles through which they must go. And now then, he gives them the completed picture. 
In other words, it's like the seeing the end of a picture uh, uh, at the beginning. You know how it's going to come out. In other words, we know that God is controlling history. We know that God, that despite the 13th chapter of Revelation, that looks like the beast out of the earth and the beast out of the sea, has uh, are in control, yet overall, God's still ruling. And uh, he has a people. And these, this people is said to have the Father's name written in their foreheads. Now, uh, a brand. What is a brand? A brand has nothing to do with character. Uh, in other words, if you were uh, in the olden days, and when I was a youngster, I never missed a bloody western. I had to see Tom Mix and Hoop Gibson and Ken Maynard and Bob Steele and, and all of the uh, the others. Even the late days of Gene Autry and Roy Rogers, even saw all of them. All right, but out on the ranges of Texas uh, and, uh, and the western states, why, cattle, that when there were no fences, they, they roamed the countryside. But they had a brand on them. But that brand didn't say that that was a longhorn or shorthorn or a, a striped or a brown or white or a spotted cow. It didn't say anything about the character. It was a jersey or what? Didn't, a brand doesn't identify the character. The brand simply means ownership, possession. Bar X or the triple B or, or so on, you see. Why, when that cattle had that brand on it, it didn't matter if it was a striped cow or if it was a spotted or if it was a Jersey, Holstein, a Guernsey, whatever it was, see. It belonged to that man's brand. Everybody knew that was registered, didn't it, in the city. All right. Here is a people. Uh, a people, a number that's symbolical or equivalent to all of God's redeemed. They have the mark, just as all of Satan's worshipers in chapter 13 had their, had Satan's mark in their forehead, just so has God's people, uh, God knoweth them that are his. And so that's what this brand means, that's what this name means. Uh, there are those that teach that this name signifies the character that's later described. But in the later verses, we have uh, the description of the branded here, those that are named, uh, that have the Father's name. And he says, verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters and as a voice of a great Thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Now there are three voices in this verse. See, see the voice of many waters, the voice of great thunder, and the voice of harpers. The first one is uh, denotes or suggests to us the voice of power, voice of many waters. You hear the waterfall from a a great spill, uh, and and throughout the the Old Testament, uh, the voice of God uh, is represented uh, as many 
uh, as a multitude of waters, sound of waters clashing. In other words, it denotes the power of God, uh, showing that uh, that God can uh, that everyone branded is secure. Then there's a voice of great thunder. This voice of great thunder, thunder, uh, you won't mistake that. See, it's certain, it's distinct. The voice of thunder, clear, unmistakable. And then the voice of harpers, voice of melody, melodious voices, harmony. The voice of harpers harping. What are they singing? They sing as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts, living creatures, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Now, uh, I, I think we come to uh, a statement uh, uh, later uh, uh, concern it, but uh, with reference to in chapter 15, we'll sing, uh, we'll note that they sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. Well, now here, uh, the angels are singing, and the redeemed, only the redeemed understand what they sing. You see, the angels back in chapter 5, the angels sang uh, uh, in the uh, revised version of uh, and giving glory and praise to God for having redeemed men out of the world, don't you see? Out of every nation, tongue, kindred, and so on. He, that the, the angels are singing because God has redeemed, God has delivered, God has saved His people. All right? Only the redeemed know that song. The song of Moses. Well, in the 15th chapter of Exodus, uh, the song was not a song uh, of Moses that, uh, that attributed salvation, eternal life, to God. That wasn't the song of Moses yet. And nearly every time you hear people uh, and the songs that we sing in our hymn book, well, you'd think that uh, when we sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, see, uh, that we're singing of God saving us. Redeeming us, delivering us from sin, from a state of death, trespass and sin. But that wasn't what the children of Israel were redeemed from, delivered from, saved from. They, uh, uh, Moses, Miriam, the children of Israel were singing in the 15th chapter of Exodus because despite God pouring out his judgments upon Egypt, God saved, delivered, kept safe his people, the Israelites, from those plagues. The frogs, the lice, the sores, the hail, the darkness, the sun, the, the death of the firstborn, all of those plagues, none of them touched Israel. See? All right? Now, the song of the Lamb, That's song here that we'll notice uh, later when we come to it is not a song of uh, of redemption, 
of regeneration, but it's a song of deliverance, a song of uh, God uh, the uh, declaring, uh, God, uh, giving God the praise for keeping His own during the plagues that are about to pour out. Even though they are slain physically, Satan thought that he won the battle if he conquered the, the physical man, if he put him to death. It, uh, uh, Satan thought that was a great victory. But God, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, claims, declares that, uh, that in death and through death, the people, the martyrs of God, uh, were, uh, were the actual conquerors. Why did they, why are they depicted as conquerors though they lost their life? Because they did not bow to the beast, nor the false prophet, nor to the dragon, nor to his image. And that's why the people are martyred uh, in uh, that we study in Revelation. They uh, they conquered. They were mar- the very fact that they that they are martyrs shows that they did not uh, give up their faith or turn uh, their confession or renounce their confession of Christ, but still said that Jesus is Lord instead of saying Caesar is Lord. Well. Uh, then in verse, uh, uh, verse four, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, <clears throat> nearly every commentator that you'll read about will tell you that this was the hardest verse in, in the book of Revelation. Well, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm too simple to let it bother me. Uh, you know, you have to know something to get involved in the problems of interpretation, I guess. But now, uh, great men, expositors, tells you that these men were virgins. That is, that they had uh, never uh, in any way uh, be, uh, became or was subject to uh, sex. They were celibates. They were completely separate and apart from uh, uh, living with a woman or the opposite sex. Now, uh, they are not defiled. Now, marriage is, uh, and all of the relationships of marriage, uh, there's nothing about it that's defiling. It's honorable. God joined the first two together. What God hath joined, let no man put us under. There's nothing about matrimony. But, you see, uh, early in religious history, the notion, and largely based on this passage of Scripture, uh, the children of God... Uh, in the early churches, many of them uh, got the idea that if they remain single, that they that they was a little bit higher. They were a select group. They were the preferred stock in the Christian world. 
They were number one. Well, now, uh, Paul, uh, in uh, uh, certain passages, seems to indicate and uh, that if a person remained single, that uh, he would be uh, maybe more useful as an evangelist or as a servant of God. But now, uh, not because that marriage was defiling or because matrimony was degrading or put him in a second-class position, but that the duties of a minister in the early day of an evangelist was one that he, uh, that, uh, he, that would be under certain circumstances maybe, uh, more advantageous than if he were married because he wouldn't have a wife to care with him, you see. And he wouldn't have the burden, uh, of a family. But that's not because there's nothing, uh, not because that Paul was degrading marriage. No, no. But there were certain duties that, uh, that, uh, uh, in, in that, an unmarried person might fulfill more uh, completely uh, to a better advantage. But now, uh, he says, for they are virgins. Now this certainly he is saying that uh, uh, in contrast to the Old Testament, Israel, any time that Israel is a nation, went a whoring after other gods. See, whenever they renounced the truth, whenever they disobeyed God and went uh, uh, after an idol, even though it was a religious act, it was a uh, it was likened unto unfaithfulness of the marriage relationship, and so uh, that's what uh, we, as far as I'm concerned, that's what we have here. Uh, now. These are they that have not gone a whoring after other gods. Why? They didn't fall down and worship the beast, nor his image, nor the false prophet. They remain true, doctrinally speaking. They have maintained the faith once we're all delivered unto the saints. They've kept it pure. And they have not turned their backs on God. And these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, the the word follow was a very uh, familiar word uh, from the lips of Jesus. Uh, you remember when uh, he walked down by the uh, seashore and he said to uh, Peter and John, follow me. Matthew, follow me. Andrew, follow me. Peter one day, after he had followed the Lord for uh, several months, almost right up to the end of his ministry, uh, Peter was uh, uh, thinking about John, what John was going to do. The Lord had already given Peter a little insight as to the future of his destiny. And uh, he said, uh, well, what's this man? What's John going to do? And the Lord says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, uh, when you read uh, Acts, uh, I mean Mark one sixteen twenty and and uh, Matthew uh, uh, six, uh, and you 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 get the idea that uh, if if you're not careful, that that's the first time that Jesus saw Peter and Andrew 
James and John, don't you know, went on down, uh, and, and they were mending their nets, uh, and so on. And he got these four, called him four of them, and said, follow, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. But that's not the first time they'd seen Jesus. That's not the first time they'd followed Jesus. You see, the, the account in John 1, 35 to 51, in order of time, precedes the account in, in Mark and in Matthew and in Luke. Uh, the, the incident that I referred to a while ago when Andrew, when he saw Jesus, you know, and, uh, and John says, well, that's the Lamb of God. And Andrew started to follow Jesus. Now, that's the first time that Andrew, see, saw Jesus. Well, he had already spent the night with him. But now, down on the sea, according to Mark 1, 16, 20, Jesus is passing by, and here he finds Peter and Andrew. And he tells them to follow him, and he'll make them fishers of me. Comes on down, James and John, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of me. And they left the ship. They had it full of fish. And brother, when you get a fisherman to leave a net, a, a, a boat full of fish, rod and reel and hook and line and net and sinker and all, and, and follow Jesus, there, there, there's something, something else. Well, what is it? What is the difference? Now, the, the account in John 1, 35 to 51, now understand, that's not regeneration. That is conversion. In John 1, 30, 31 uh, to uh, uh, 35 to 51, conversion is the turning and the following of a regenerated soul to the Lord Jesus. All right, watch this down here. Uh, but this uh, that happens occurs down at the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus walked by and says, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. You've got the subject of consecration, not regeneration, not conversion. But you've got discipleship. You've got following a learner. They're following him. They're, uh, they, they're, as far as the fish is concerned, they left it for their father. James and John did to their father and the hired servants. You all take care of them. And brother, from that day on, they were identified with the Lord Jesus. They followed him, see, whithersoever he went. Now, uh, so, uh, here it says, notice they're following the Lamb, whithersoever he going. These were redeemed from among men. Now, this is, uh, a passage. It's telling, here's a vision. John's received this vision. He says, all's not lost. Don't forget that. He says, the beast, uh, regardless of what the beast may do, he says, God's still on the throne. And here he gives him this, gives him this vision and says, these are they that were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, now the word first fruits there, uh, is better translated sacrifice. Well, now that's what a, a witness is. That's what a, a, a follower is. See, take up your cross, except a man, take up his cross, 
and follow me. See? Well, now, what's that cross for? It's to die on. That's all a cross was fit for. That's all they were ever used for. And now then, they were the first sacrifices. They were the first followers. That is, the disciples, you see. All right? Now, yet, he is looking at this picture. And no doubt, many of these are martyrs. All of them, of course, are not martyrs. But uh, he says, uh, uh, these are being the sacrifices uh, unto God. Well, now, uh, Paul taught uh, the doctrine of sacrifice. Twelfth chapter of Romans. Wherefore, what was it? Uh, brethren, present your bodies. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, that's what these were doing, you see. They had, they had, they were following him wherever, uh, the lamb going. That is, of course, the only ones that could do it physically, literally. Uh, were the disciples in the days when he was upon the earth. But now, he says, uh, uh, and in their mouth, verse 5, and in their mouth was found no guile. Now that didn't, doesn't mean that they never told a lie. But it means that they didn't preach a lie. They didn't teach a false doctrine. They didn't teach an untruth. That, that was false. Uh, this is the body. They, he's describing the 144,000. He's not describing the individual character of individual men. But he's describing this group. Of course, uh, what, uh, what is said about their, uh, their official position, uh, should also, uh, be the same experience of a person experience of a man personally. Uh, the next statement is, uh, and for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, it's not without a personal fault because there's never such a person living. Now, this group, one day, according to Paul, Jesus is going to present to the Father and when this presentation is made, they will be without fault, personal fault, and without blemish. See, that's the, uh, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 23, 24, and so on, you see. Now, uh, so here he says, that, now this word fault is the word used sacrificially, used to describe the lamb. This sacrifice that he was must be without blemish over and over throughout the Old Testament. Whenever they'd take a lamb and and put it up, they kept it up uh, four days to make certain that that lamb had no blemish. They couldn't kill. But you see, one of the great sins of Israel was that after so long, said, "Oh, oh no, that." That, that healthy one, man, that's too healthy there. Let's, let, let's take this crippled lamb up there. Let's take this and this one here, not as a runt. He'll never mount to anything. This old cow here, it'll never give any milk. Let's take it up there. Dry cows. That one's going to fresh. Let's take this one. Uh, the, uh, the, 
The scripture said God demanded the, the, the best without blemish. See? And, and that's what this is used here. And, uh, in other words, uh, here is a group of people that God, that's cheering and assuring the heart of John, uh, knowing that, uh, through it all, when we reach the destination, here's what we'll find. And it gave him hope and cheer, comfort along the way. Well, that's just the first five verses, and that's the first uh, portion of the... Uh, uh, now, uh, with reference to this word, uh, I might make this a note here, where it says, They followed the Lamb whithersoever uh, he goeth. You know, there, in the New Testament days, there was a group of people that followed the Lord on the day of miracles. They followed the Lord when he was going to multiply the bread. Uh, when they were hungry, they followed the Lord, you see. And then there was a group of people uh, that uh, uh, followed the Lord on the day that Jesus, we usually say the, the day of the triumphant entry, you know, uh, when Jesus uh, marched into Jerusalem. Oh, look at them. There's a great crowd. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, all right. And they had put out their palm branches. But, uh, you see, uh, uh, that was a day of his glory. It was easy to follow him that day. See, the Jews weren't going to bother him. Why? Because there was too many common people there. It was the common people. It was the people that heard him gladly, that were welcoming him and wanted him to ride into Jerusalem as king. It wasn't the enemies that were uh, making this march, but it was a people that did not know and did not understand the identity. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.